Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. As you know, life is change. If that's the only constant, that's the only guarantee. You are guaranteed to experience changes in your life. And I think the freedom you get to experience in life is the degree to which you learn to embrace the change. And my guest today, someone I consider a friend, uh, a big brother in a certain sense, is going to share with you some, shall we say, insights and wisdom in terms of how to develop more resilience so that you can navigate the ever-changing world. He's the best-selling author of a book you may know of called Pivot. If you haven't got that book, check it out. Uh, he's a recognized expert in professional and personal reinvention, CEO of one of the largest transformational businesses and companies, launching seminars around the world, and uh, all-around amazing human being. He has a new book out, folks. It's called Change Proof, Leveraging the Power of Uncertainty to Build Long-Term Resilience. Welcome, Adam Markel. Adam, uh, welcome to Soul Talk. Awesome, Coot. I'm, uh, I'm just happy to spend time with you, buddy. I mean, that's the truth. I, this, is, great this, to be is, this is an absolute pleasure. So, yeah. Awesome, man. You look well. You look great. Uh, that's a good sign. You know, I got a good, look. I got a good shaved head today. Nice, clean, clean cut here. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have to go for a little chat. I think I might try this, this buzzed look myself. You look good. You look, you look healthy. You look well. I think that that's also telling because, you know, uh, in life with challenges and ups and downs as human beings, I'm sure you're not immune to them. The fact that you look healthy and vibrant and well, I would say is a sign that you're doing something right. And you're practicing and what, whatever you're teaching and sharing is uh, working to a degree. And, and so I think that's a good thing. Because <laughs> if you came on the podcast and looked like shit and looked terrible and, you know, your chi was gone, your energy was like lackluster, I'm not so sure. So I think it, it's, it's going to be a good podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into uh, your book, Change Proof, your new book. I think it's an amazing title. And what? incredible timing for the book to come out. I want to just before we do that. And I, I agree. I think we, we have something that, that really is going to meet the moment right now in a way that, uh, that pivot didn't in all honesty, because I think it was before it was before it's time in 2016, when that book hit the, sh the shelves and, and people were reading it and uh, it did well and all that. But the name, the title was still, bit misunderstood. And, and in fact, I think people looked at a pivot as something really um, pejorative. 
something yeah. negative that, that, uh, you know, they couldn't, it, it was like a reminder of failure. It was a reminder of mistake somehow. That's the yeah. way they saw pivots. I would say in the last two years, if I had a dime for every time somebody said the word pivot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, you, we would be, uh, you, you'd be up there with Elon Musk. Yeah. But before we get started in, in the, just for full transparency, I want to show you something. All right. And you don't even know this. So this is, I get a little, a little pleasure out of just this one with you. Right there. See that? Oh, my gosh. So, folks, <laughs> so, if you're listening, can you just uh, describe uh, what you just showed me? So, what I did was I held up my knee brace, and I'm now holding one of my two crutches. Yeah. And, uh, and so, as you started to talk about, you know, being in good health and all this and that, uh, I have just the most wonderful little, little, little tale to tell of how it is that I broke two bones in my right knee. What happened? Tell me. So... Randy and I were, were just recently in Mexico at a beautiful place in, in, in Los Cabos, uh, taking a little time off, just a little downtime, especially right before uh, a book launch. But this, this particular month or last month, now that today's March, would be February, on 2-22-22, Change Proof uh, launched. But we also had the reissue of a paperback version of Pivot, brand yes. new version of that, and uh, another book that's uh, sort of a condensed book with source books called the I Love My Life Challenge. So there was a lot going on. <laughs> we decided to get out of Dodge and just take a, a little, little breather for ourselves. So we we're down there. And on the very last day of this vacation, uh, in not just the last day, but in the last two hours before we're headed to the airport, I decided I want to get in the ocean one more time. I actually really <laughs> wanted to just take a beach walk with Randy one more time before we head back to the room and get our stuff and, and head to the car and all that. And, uh, I, I got in the water with my with my glasses on because we were going to go for a walk. I just wanted to cool off and a big wave just reared up. I called back to Randy. I'm like, you better move back. I mean, <laughs> this is a monster. And instead of diving through the wave, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the ocean. I'm a water guy and I surf and all that kind of stuff. And I rode the wave all the way to the top to keep my glasses on instead of, you know, just going chucking them i rode it all the way to the top and it just slammed me down i mean oh. like jam my leg into either a boulder or the sand or whatever but it snapped it backwards hyperextended and broke two bones my knee wow. at which point i'm i'm lying on literally lying in in the surf but the this wave just appeared it's like i've never had seen a wave like this all week long and then and then it was nothing so i basically was able to crawl out of the surf on my four on on all fours and when I tried to stand up, I could put no weight at all on my right leg. I mean, like, as in it felt like it would snap in half if I put any weight, which is a, I mean, it's a, it's a bizarre feeling uh, for anybody that's ever had that happen. Uh, so that's the beginning of the story. And what we can do uh, at some point, you know, whenever you want is just navigate sort of that change proofness, that philosophy um, that's in the so, book yeah. well, what, to start. What, what does... When you say change proof, you know, the, the, the nature of life is change. So exactly. what, what do you mean by change proof? Because we will, we will all have to face change, whether you're the most enlightened guru, mystic being on the planet, whether you're you and I, whether you're Oprah, everyone faces change, black, white, green, orange. And so what do you mean first by change proof? What, what is that? How are you defining that so we can have a context for the conversation? Yeah, well, we're in alignment because the it's an, a bit of a, a paradox, I suppose, that the, the the one great constant in the universe 
is change. <laughs> so constant is a change. Change is a constant. Um, and, and I personally believe that it is this, it is the, uh, it is the mystical uh, rule for transformation. It's, it's the way transformation occurs in, in our world is through change. So change proof does not mean that you are somehow not going to experience change. It's the opposite. It means the same way that you might you might waterproof your boots so that they were resistant to the water. Uh, being change-proof means that you're agnostic to change. That change is the assumption. It's the thing you expect. The reason why people have, among others, reasons they are so challenged by change is that they're somehow caught off guard by it. Right. They're surprised right. by we're it. They're surprised, and even though we know it's the nature of reality, right? We're yeah. surprised, but yeah. So they haven't anticipated it. And then when it occurs, they don't often know exactly how, how to respond. So when, it, when, when change happens, like a big change, I mean, Lord knows we've all been through a lot of changes the last couple of years. So, so okay, we, we accept that, okay, the nature of life has changed. Let me accept it. Let me embrace it. Let me expect it. Let me welcome it. But let's say a big unexpected change happens in one's life. You lose your job. Someone breaks up. Uh, let's not happens. be let's not be hypothetical. Just, <laughs> that's why I think it's great. I'm holding up the stick again. <laughs> yeah. So, so so you 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 break your you break a bone, right? What do you do in that moment? How 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 did you handle? Hey, and to me, we're teeing this up, and and it's a good thing too because I uh, I got to sort of I think two weeks ago I was in San Antonio. So this happened a month ago. So let's say two weeks ago, half the distance from when this occurred in Mexico to today, I'm in San Antonio speaking to an audience at an organization called Cigna. And I, uh, I got on the stage with crutches and, and some assistance. And then I end up in a, in a, in a stool uh, doing a keynote for an hour from a stool that I've never done that before. I've never not <laughs> literally stalked, <laughs> stalked the, uh, the stage and left the stage and all the stuff that I typically do. I sat there. And the first thing I said after I told my initial story was I said, look, see, this is what I do for you guys. I took one for the team. I am here today <laughs> <laughs> to live and read this. Living proof. Yes, exactly. So the, the question you asked is really, is really sage for me because uh, it gives me this opportunity to, to talk about the stuff in in real in real life. When this happened, um, there was a whole series of things. So, a minute or two after it occurs, I am with the aid of my my beautiful wife, headed uh, up this steep berm to get back to this beautiful beach chair that we were we were on only a few moments ago. And um, and then I'm sitting there trying to assess physically what's just occurred and what the damage might be to my knee while Randy goes off to find help, get ice, wheelchair. I mean, we literally have to leave the leave the hotel in about 90 minutes. And I'm just imagine this. <laughs> I'm, you know, not near our room. I'm on this lounge chair. I've just had this accident and and I'm in a foreign country. Uh, with no medical insurance in a foreign country and God knows. So what are the things that are the what ifs in that moment? Well, or, or the realities. I, I'm a public speaker. I get paid to speak and, and it is a great part of what I do for a living to travel the world and do that. I'm scheduled to be in London, not for a speaking engagement, but to see our youngest uh, daughter who's studying there, our, our 
little little one Eden, and uh, and I'm going to speak to her. Uh, her professor invited me to speak to her class, but I'm going to spend a week in London. That's clearly, you know, going to be off the table. I have speaking engagements that are booked. What's going to be the deal with that? We've got these books that are coming. All these what ifs to in that moment, you know, is this going to impact my my career? Is this going to impact money? Is this going to impact other areas of my life? And and frankly, you know, will I will I be able to walk again? Like, I mean, this this is a damaged damaged leg right here. Um, and so, in that moment, with all that going on, I had a choice to make which was to engage in that experience from a place of fear or engage from my language that I would use for it or to engage in that experience from a place of love. That was a choice that I had to make. I, I did something that's rep, that we talk about in the book. Um, I, I paused. It's a three-step process, pause, ask, choose. So I took a pause to ask in that moment with everything else that's going on, how do I want to engage? How do I want to experience this moment for myself? And, and what will the impact of the way that I, I choose to engage, what will that impact be? I paused to ask those questions. In fact, some of the questions that I asked after I paused was, and I know it's going to sound odd, Coot, but I said, what can I love in this moment? That was the first question I asked. What can I love in this moment? And the answer was immediate. I didn't wait for an answer for this one to choose. I immediately realized I can love, I can love my knee. I can, I can love the repair and the healing and, and how my knee is so resilient and how I am, I am, I am safe. I, I, I could have damn I could have been thrown to the ground and, and broken my neck. I could have, I could be unconscious. I could be dead. I could be crippled. There's so many things that could have occurred in that moment since that whole thing was so unexpected. I, I got to tell you, Coot, I swam in that ocean all week long. I'm an ocean swimmer. This wave was twice the size of anything that I saw break on the shore wow. that whole week. It just reared up. I pushed up to get my head above the top of it. And then it just slammed me down. Wow. That's as unexpected, unexpected. Thing as you could. I mean, you could pick a million things that are unexpected. Like you walk out in the street and your bus comes by and hits you, right? It was like that. So in that moment, uh, my choice was to, for me, was to apply love. And, and when I was, when that was where I was coming from, I also asked myself, what do, what do, what do I have to be grateful for? And then I felt gratitude. I felt gratitude in my body that I was, well, yeah, this was going to be a challenge. This was going to be an issue. There was going to be stuff that had to be done. Like, how am I getting back to my room? How are we going to get to the airport? You know, <laughs> all that. Wait, so, so but this is just a side note. But I was great. Did, you actually went to the airport straight after that? You still oh, no, I, I'm going to really condense this and tell you what happened, though. And so <laughs> I went there and then I went to one other question in that moment. And that one other question was, what am I going to learn from this? Because... I'm a pusher, man. I'm a pusher. Randy knows this about me. I push, I push, I push. I try to squeeze the marrow out of every day, which I love about myself, but it's also, I put myself in harm's way because I, and in that moment, I didn't, I didn't judge myself for that being the case. I didn't need to go in the ocean. I didn't need to take that last walk. I didn't need to. We could have sat by the pool. It happened. 
there's so all the ways in which often when things go sideways, we we look backwards, to, to, you know, to to go. What can I criticize now? What can I judge? Where where can I beat myself up or beat other people up or use it as a you know a tool to judge others? I didn't do any of that. I just stayed in the in that energy of what what am I going to learn from this experience? Next thing you know, these guys are carrying me, and it was not easy across the soft sand in a wheelchair. Carried me to a place that they could wheel me back to the room, and ten minutes later, I'm back in the room, and there's a doctor and a nurse that come, and we apply ice. Uh, he fits me for a brace. He gives me an anti-inflammatory and another stronger pain medication. The hotel calls the airport to let them know I'm going to be coming and need to require a wheelchair to get me to the to the plane. I mean, all these things just started to happen, Coot. And the next thing you know, I'm in the car. I'm in the airport. I'm at the gate. I'm on the plane, and I'm flying back to the United States. Wow. Next. You know, then I'm in a doctor and a whole different medical experience in this country, which we won't get into. <laughs> but I get to an MRI, MRI and have the visit with the orthopedist who tells me, you know what? The blessing in this is you didn't tear any ligaments and these are broken bones that will heal with six to eight weeks of, of immobility. And that's, you know, wow. 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 that's where uh, we ended up. Wow. Amazing. So pause ask, choose. Okay. Understand that. Now, you know, you've been doing this work for a while. You seminars, you teach this stuff, but I'm wondering like, you know, someone might be thinking, Fred, shit, man, it's, it's easy for you. You know, Mr. Change Proof, like, like, like Mr. Guru, author of The Pivot, like this is what you live, breathe, teach, you know, every day of your life. But what about someone who Okay, that they understand what you're saying and they say, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, pause, ask. But in the moment, <laughs> shit goes down, something <laughs> happens, you know, they feel betrayed by someone and, okay, they want to be enlightened and ask the question, but all they, they just hurt. They, they, intellectually, they understand, but emotionally, they're like, screw you, God, screw the situation. It's not fair what happened to me. I'm, I, I'm being a good person, I'm meditating, I'm being of service, and this thing happened. I know I should ask these questions and, okay, bring love to it, but to hell with that. And, and they just, you know, emotionally, they, they're just, they feel the opposite. Like, what, what does someone do in that situation? How, how, well, do they, how do they even navigate out of that moment? Isn't that exactly what happened? <laughs> I literally could have had every single one of those responses. And I'm not saying that the thoughts didn't cross my mind at various points. Like when I found out for sure that I'm not going to get to go to London with my wife to spend the week with our daughter. I mean, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. You know, she's our youngest of four and she's in college and she's there. And I was going to be there with her this week. In fact, Randy, who sent her love and regards to you, brother, um, yeah, I was on the phone on FaceTime with her. They just had a great day. They went they went to a, see a play, this brand new play about the life of Bob Marley. Amazing thing. Wow. And this beautiful little theater in London. And, you know, I mean, had cocktails and all this stuff. And I'm not there with them. So it's not that this isn't just as much a reality for me. And but I want I want to take again what I think is a gift in, in the way that you frame that question, which is, you know, what's the difference for somebody that that you describe and, and the way that, that maybe I approach it. 
it's not that I didn't feel or couldn't feel those emotions or, or have that spiraling sort of, um, you know, looking at, at, at what is what is unfair and wrong and all the rest of it. It's that I've been practicing something and that's what this book is about. This book is about how you perform resilience and, and the, the concept of resilience, which is something I think we ought to define because I think people define it differently than we do in this book. The concept is that you, de you develop resilience before you need it, Coot. And this is the big one. You develop it now before you need it next because I'm going to say something that isn't audacious at all. It's, I'm going to say something that was like capital T truth right here. This is not the last disruption I will face in my life. The pandemic is not the last disruption the world is going to face. The war that we're, that we're seeing happening in, in Ukraine is not the last disruption. Whatever disruptions you were just alluding to in people's personal lives, they're not the last disruptions, the last things that will be challenging us. The fact of the matter is that that's the state, that is the, the, the state of what is normal. That's the state of normal. Change is the state of normal. Disruption is the state of normal. The only thing is, what are we doing ahead of it to prepare ourselves to be able to work through those things, embrace them, utilize them, maximize the, 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 the opportunity for growth out of them? That's not something you decide in the moment, Coot. You don't decide that, in my opinion. Like the average, the law of average is not with you if you're going to wait to the crisis to decide how to show up. You are practicing how to be resilient ahead of those things occurring. And then, no surprise, when they occur, you are equipped to deal with them differently. And that is the only difference. I had, I had been thinking about this. I've been working on this, like you said. It's what I teach. It's what I get paid to go into companies and, and share information about. So it was front of mind for me that I am I either do I believe this? Am I living and breathing this thing or is this just, you know, a thing? And, and so for me in that moment, yeah, I had tools and those tools, frankly, and I know this sounds a little self-serving, but those tools are in the book Change Proof because what it's what we wrote about. <laughs> what are some of the uh, practices like maybe give us a handful of practices, simple practices that perhaps people can, because I'm almost hearing it like, well, resilience is something you build, anybody can build by going to the gymnasium, so to speak, on a daily yeah. basis, so that when the, the, the storm comes or the war comes, you, we have the muscle to handle the situation. And so what are some of the practices that people can begin doing on a daily basis that, Let's say someone just beginning. Well, where can they start? What, what's what's a two or three practices? Beautiful. So let's let's start with a baseline, and um, and and this book is is based on the assessment of three thousand more than three thousand leaders of global organizations, Fortune fifty companies to start up. So that's the basis for. Uh, or is the research that we did to support the things that we were working on in this book, and and the first thing I want to start with is the theme of the book, the sort of the, the place that we start is, is with a story about a tragic event that occurred at the beach when I was a lifeguard at 19 years old. And, and we start there because we lost someone in this particular day uh, at Jones Beach, South Shore of Long Island, Atlantic Ocean, 100,000 people on the beach on a typical Saturday or Sunday in the middle of the summer, 100,000 people on the beach. We were 20 lifeguards. And, uh -huh. and my first summer working there, 
we we had this. In fact, I still have my whistle right here. I'll pull it out. Um, we got my old Sean Speech lifeguard whistle um, from back then. We heard this thing ring out three times, three, you know, like that. And we never heard those three sounds. We'd hear one, we'd hear two. One was to get someone's attention. Two meant we were making a rescue. Three meant there's a submersion, means somebody's under the water, we can't see them. And now they've been under long enough that we've got to do something called a search and rescue. And we did that search and rescue for well more than an hour, cleared the beach, everybody's out of the water, and we're in there searching, and we don't find this guy. So it, it's, it's a tragic loss. His family's there. It's something I'll never forget. It was brutal. Um, and then it goes from search and rescue to search and recovery with the Coast Guard. Uh, we had to get back up in the lifeguard stand. We had to reopen the beach that day, if you can believe it, and continue to do our job. And then that entire summer, we had to learn we had to learn to do things differently. We had to learn how to be resilient. And, and part of what I'm going to share with you in a moment, one of the things that we learned that I, I provide in this book is how it is that we were able to then thereafter um, not only develop our own resilience, but develop a, a, very, uh, a very good um, response to what occurred. And, and I worked there for seven additional summers and we never lost anybody again. Nobody ever went down on our watch after that day. Um, so the rip current is the theme of this book because that's how, when we would see people caught in a riptide and people that may know what a riptide is, it's just the current getting sucked out. In fact, we used to call them on the beach. Our, our term for the rip current was a suck and it sucks the water out into deeper water and it churns up the sand when it does that. So the water actually turns brown. That's how we could tell from the lifeguard stand that there's a rip current that's approaching because it moved. They moved up and down the beach. There's people in there that are don't, not swimmers. They're not experienced swimmers. You're in three feet of water. The next thing you know, they're in six feet of water. They don't even know how they got there. And, and all they know is they're in this churning swirl, this, this foamy brown swirl. And now what they do, routinely is to try to fight that current could that's their instant instinct in fact anybody that doesn't know what to do when they're in a cotton rip current that's what they they do they swim against the current until they're exhausted and then when they finally get exhausted realizing they're going further away from their goal further away from the shore even despite all of their effort that's when they panic that's when we can see from the lifeguard tower that that person has run out of steam and run out of options. And the next thing, you know, they're going under, which is a whole different situation to find somebody once they've gone under. So that's the way we start the book. This idea that many, 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 many people just resist change. They fight it. They fight it in different ways. Sometimes, in, you know, in, in, as I ask corporate audiences this, I say, what does it look like to fight change? Well, for some people, they just outright say no to it. Other people just realize it's going to be a lot of hard work. So they gently resist it. You know, there's degrees. But in order to deal with change, we have to first adopt a different mindset about it. And secondly, we have to be resilient. So to the point of our discussion about resilience and what those practices look like, we first have to realize that resilience is not your ability to fight the change longer <laughs> so that you could be successful because you outlive it, outlast it. So many people, when the pandemic started, that was their process. I'll just outrun it. I'll outlast it. 
And how's that been working for people since the thing just keeps elongating? And not only does it get longer, but the uncertainty is even greater in so many respects. And the challenges are even more unpredictable than people would have ever imagined. So outlasting it, outrunning it, um, you know, is, is a recipe for exhaustion and ultimately that, that sort of fight for life. Um, this, the idea that, that you go down when you're that tired. So we have to redefine resilience is not about how we endure, but actually, and this is what our research has taught us, how you recover, how you recover. So back to the beach, what we learned that summer after that tragic event was that we couldn't be up in the lifeguard stand for seven, eight hours. What we had to be able to do was work an hour, then come down off the stand for an hour and rest, take a nap, close our eyes, read a book, eat our lunch, go work out, just change our environment entirely. We worked up an hour and down an hour, up an hour, down an hour. That's how we worked with 20 lifeguards, 10 at a time, up an hour, down an hour. The paradigm that I, I now have named this is it's, it's called the, the toggle method. So this toggling back and forth between our energy zone and our recovery or our resting zone is what we do to create results like the ones we had at the beach. We're able to be hyper-focused for periods of time and then come back refreshed and recharged and reset and could really focus and perform at high levels again. So it increased our capacity and our longevity. That's, that's the same process that athletes, Olympians, and, and, and high performers who understand this apply to how it is that they create productivity. And we, we have exhaustion and burnout is an epidemic in, in, our, yeah. in our work world. And, yes. um, and right now, resilience is the answer, in my opinion, because so often what an employer wants is really just how much can I get? How much productivity can I get? What, you know, what, what can I squeeze out of every moment that I'm paying you? In many ways. And I'm not saying this in a sinister way. It's just mm -hmm. a paradigm. And we have mm -hmm. to shift that paradigm so that what they understand is that when they really take care of the way we took care of each other at the beach, where we the way we really had each other's backs was to ensure that we didn't stay up in that stand for two hours because we were going to have blind spots. We our, our ability to be at our best in that moment was was declining, you know, precipitously. So when, when the culture of an organization is willing to adopt resilience as a hard skill and, and wants to make that cultural shift, then what we're really doing is we're preparing people to not just increase their productivity, but to be able to go the distance. And this is not just about work. This is in life because, you know, the, 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 the separation between our home and, and, and our work lives is almost yeah. non-existent today as well. Yeah. I mean, I want to speak deeper to it might be connected to the question I asked earlier, but like the process of embracing change, because we hold on, as you mentioned, so, like so, so tightly, we, we resist so much. And I guess, how do we let go? You know, how, how do we stop resisting? Is there a methodology? Is there a process? I notice I'm resisting. Like, if someone is listening to this and they notice they're resisting something, a change, a breakup, uh, leaving their job, how, how do we move through that resistance? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of things I think that are important. One is, again, preparing yourself to 
be resilient when the change occurs is, is vital. That's something everybody can do today. You can start to perform resilience by taking an opportunity to create rituals. And in, in our study, again, that assessment I referred to earlier uh, with the 3,000 plus leaders assesses people in four different areas or four zones, resilience zones, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And this assessment is a, why we got such success with it is because it's just three minutes long. I mean, you know how some of these quizzes or assessments can take forever. This thing is three minutes. It's 16 questions, but it's divided up into four areas, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, to see where it is that people are falling off, where they're strong, they have great levels of resilience, and where they're actually weak. So when we think about what we could be doing now, in addition to getting a baseline, which is to first see how you're doing in those areas, it's, well, where can I ritualize, create a new, a new ritual, which I'm saying is different than a habit, by the way, um, simply because a habit like brushing your teeth is an unconscious thing. A ritual is something you do with a great deal of consciousness, potentially with a lot of presence and because you're intending it. So to intend that you're going to, let's say, take 20 minutes at lunchtime to lie with your, 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 uh, your legs up a wall, your butt to the baseboard and your legs up a wall with a dark, you know, something dark over your eyes and 20 minutes, just close your eyes, maybe put on, you know, a meditation or a 528 Hertz frequency or something, but you just lie there for 20 minutes. That 20 minutes has been proven to be feel like three or four hours of rest. It can be so effective at simply recharging yourself to be able to drink enough Hydrate, you know, hydrate yourself well during the day, but to start, as so many people just don't even start this way, start the day with a full glass of water, like right out of the gate before you have the dehydrating coffee. And I love coffee and I love tea. You know, I'm, of course, I don't need it. Nobody needs it, right? <laughs> but that aside, you st I start with a full glass of water and I don't sip it. I gulp it, flush my system out right out of the gate sitting in stillness at the start of the day, 10 minutes even, just 10 minutes of stillness, whether you call it meditation. I'm not a great meditator, but I love to sit still. I love to sit in gratitude. I love to pray. To do that before you pick up your phone, mm -hmm. this routinely, like 94% of the people that we survey, this is the first thing they do in the morning is pick up the phone. And I don't mean to just turn the alarm off. I mean, they immediately begin interacting with their technology right away whether it's emails or texts or social media, the first thing they do when you could replace that with 10 minutes of stillness and set your day off on a completely different trajectory. These are, these are small, but really meaningful changes that we talk about in the book, because when you ritualize your resilience, then you're better equipped to deal with those winds, those, those earthquakes, those, you know, kind of really earth shaking things that come suddenly. I mean, there's a lot of change that we can anticipate, changes that we're even planning. I'm not even talking about those. I'm talking about those, like you said earlier, Coot, the things that kind of hit us, that blindside us. And, and our resilience is tested in that moment. So the truth is, if we haven't been practicing resilience, performing resilience beforehand, how do you think we'll perform in the moment? And that's why people have trouble letting go, because that, that attachment, is it's an emotional response. It's an ego response. It's a... It's, I mean, you wrote a book about surrendering. So when you want to you make it through the rip current, the best thing you could possibly do is take your advice. In fact, that's what we would, you know, we were, we, we were taught this as lifeguards. You get caught in a rip current, 
lie on your back and, and look at the, <laughs> look at the clouds. Yeah. Literally let go because fighting it won't work. You can sim you can swim perpendicular to the shore, uh, perpendicular to the to the rip current and parallel to the shore to get out of it. That's one thing that you can do that's just an effective tool. But you can also just lie there and float hmm. and preserve your energy because the rip current is eventually going to spit you out. That's the way it works. It sucks the water out and then it fans. It creates like a, a little a little button hook on both sides. If you do nothing, eventually it will spit you out of the current and then you'll be able to swim, make your way back to shore. Assuming you have energy to do that. I mean, this is the big deal here. To me, in a world that's changing as rapidly as, as the one we live in and, and has the kind of profound challenges, so many, too many to name in this moment, and seem to get greater every moment, every day. Um, our, our, our best response is to, to be uh, aware in the moment that, that we have this capacity to use our energy wisely. But so many people don't do that. They waste their energy. They leak their energy with unnecessary outrage and anger and a whole lot of other things we could talk about. But when you don't have energy, you cannot outperform your challenges as easily as somebody who does. You mentioned, I mean, this is maybe a side note, but I, want, I just want to, I'm curious about, about where this will take us. Is you mentioned that one of the things you do, stillness, meditation, you said pray. And I'm just curious about that in terms of um, developing resilience, because I think that that's something really powerful for, for eons people have prayed. And when you say you pray, what does that mean to you? What do you do? I'm curious your own yeah. experience of prayer, because I think prayer is powerful because in doing that, we, we connect with you know, at least we're connecting with source. We're connecting with the divine. We're connecting with that divine part of ourselves that that doesn't change. You know, that that unchanging dimension of our being. And so, yes. How do you pray for those that might be curious? How do you pray? Well, I guess I, I should have expected that question on a program called Soul Talk, right? Because I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get asked that question. I I will say that. Often and and very rarely does anybody follow up with that with that question. So, um, I, I know that my form of, of prayer um, is uh, is based on a thing I call a code of conduct. That again, I, I I do talk about in the book. It's it's a way of setting what my grandmother would say is to 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 set out on the right foot. So I start my day on the right foot by engaging myself in this conversation of what do I want to experience today? How do I want to experience myself being today? And, and I use a statement. I say, I experience blank today. I don't say blank. I fill in the blank and that I experience something today. I, I use a series of those statements that change from day to day, but they always begin with the same one. I experience gratitude today. And I, I experience gratitude in that moment. I feel gratitude. I feel gratitude for my life, for the fact that I've been given another day. Uh, I feel gratitude for my family, but I feel gratitude for just, just the, um, the, way, the way that I'm, I'm experiencing even that moment and how that experience of that moment might be 
be reflected in all the other moments that I, I have during the day. Um, it is not religious, even though prayer can be. Um, I don't even know if I'd call it spirituality, uh, although I, I suppose I, I could say that is the case because I do say God. Um, and, and I say it in the sense that I, I truly believe that we are, each of us, a spark of the, the divine fire. You know, there's a lot of wonderful metaphors to discuss source and spirit. Um, but I believe that's our relationship to one another, that we all are, are part of this thing that you could call oneness or, or one soul even. And, and we are each a part of that. And when I connect deep within myself, I experience it. I experience not only my connection to the whole, this thing we could call source or spirit or God, but I also connect in those moments to all of my brothers and sisters and every other living being, creature, living thing in the universe, not just on this planet even. And, and that is a spiritual experience for sure. Um, I, I believe in the power of prayer, man. I believe in the power of, of when, when I am grateful for things ahead of their showing, uh, even showing the manifestation of, of, of that thing. I, we call that pre, pre-visional gratitude. Before you can even see it, you could be grateful for it. And a lot of people who don't believe in it or have been burned out on religion or burned down on spirituality might say that's just woo-woo hogwash. You know, my background, we didn't say it in the intro. I was a lawyer for 18 years. I've been a co-founder and owner of businesses. I, I'm a pretty practical, pragmatic guy. Um, I don't do too many things intentionally that don't work. I, you know, I have my blind spots like we all do. But I typically do the things that work and I keep doing the things that work and the things that don't work, I try to get rid of as quickly as possible. I pray every day because it works. If you, I, I suspect if you took the most successful people that have ever lived in any arena, sports, arts, music, um, you know, business, whatever it is, there's some massive percentage of those people that don't ever talk about what they do internally to create their performance in life will tell you that they, they pray in some form or fashion, but very people talk about it. You know, you hear people after the Super Bowl giving thanks to God, you hear that, you know, you hear that a uh, fair, fair amount of time. But I think that it's so much more prevalent than anybody talks about. And it, and you know what? Maybe, maybe that's a thing, you know, you kind of keep to yourself because it's your personal private business. And, and I, I don't ever want to indoctrinate anybody else in my personal stuff. I mean, I just know it works. And uh, so I keep doing it. And, and it's, uh, you know, in a non, you know, in a uh, non-denominational way, I can just say it's, it produces greater resilience when, when you are doing things to, to reset, replenish, regenerate your, your, the part of you that, that you can't put a name to, but the part of you that produces your hope and your inspiration and your insight and, and your energy. So did I answer your question? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I've, I have a question floating around in my mind that I'm still formulating. Uh, so let, let's kind of see where it goes. But we're talking about change. Nature of life is change. If someone is in a situation and they feel like, I guess, yeah, I'll ask it this. How much of our life do you feel we are in control of how much of our life do we control how much of it is 
you know, some people might say, oh, banana, it's just my karma. It's just, this is just my lot in life. And, you know, my astrology, my ancestors, my birth, my family pattern, it's just my karma. And I, I don't think this is ever going to change. So, so how much do you feel? And if someone is in that position, how do they instigate the change? You know, not wait, wait for life to do it, but how do they, do they break the dynamic that maybe they've lived in their life or, you know, generational patterns, for instance, that they really want to break and change that perhaps feels unchangeable? Sure. I, um, let's use somebody as an example and sure. somebody that everybody knows. So, you know, Nelson Mandela, let's, right. let's use him. Right. So I don't know whether it was 27 or 28 years that he was imprisoned in something like a five by seven cell. For a long I mean, time. <laughs> the most horrific. And, and I don't know how many days that is, but let's just say it's many, many thousands of days, right? In 27, yeah. 28 years. Um, how many of those days do you think Nelson Mandela could have said, my karma, Ten, man. 10,220 days. Thank you. This is great. Awesome. <laughs> Something 10, like that. 10,220 <laughs> days. He could have said each one of those days, um, this, is, this, this is my karma. This is my lot in life. There's nothing I could do. I'm literally in prison. I am a, in, a prisoner and there's nothing I can do about it. And I must have done something really crappy in my last life or in this life to have deserved this fate, right? right. right? And yet he, as, the, as we all know, he leaves prison. He comes out of prison to, to lead South Africa out of apartheid and lead, and lead the entire country to through regeneration and, and, and healing resolution. I mean, you go, what's the difference between him and any number of other people who wake up in the morning and go, this is my lot in life. You know, my, I'm an addict. My parents were addicts. I was abused. I was, I mean, unspeakable things have happened to people. And, I, and in the work that I do, fortunately, I, I get to really form quite intimate relationships. I, I, I mentor. I usually have about a dozen mentoring clients a year in addition to the corporate work. And sometimes those are business people or entrepreneurs and sometimes they're not. And, and I absolutely love that work. And what I often hear in those situations and even in, in ones where I'm not actively mentoring somebody, I hear horrific stories of things that have occurred that you cannot imagine. Like I'm a daddy. I'm, I have four, my wife and I, we have four kids. We have a grand, a grandson who's, you know, maybe crying in the background here too. Um, this beautiful little boy, Nicoa. I mean, to think that anybody would abuse a child. And I mean, do, do the worst of things that you can even, is just, it's unthinkable. It's unspeakable. And yet it's a reality. It happens. So it's not that these horrors and atrocities don't happen. It's that we have this fundamental choice. In fact, the one thing they could not take from Nelson Mandela, and I using him as an example, just because I, I find his story to be so personally inspiring. What a, a, you know, like from a thousand years from now, there'll be a lot of people and things forgotten, but that man will not be, I yeah. believe. And so he never gave away his freedom to think and they could never take it from him. They could never, ever steal that from him. They could have killed him. Instead, they imprisoned him. 
and his mind was his. And so, however it was, he was in charge of his his thinking and, and, and the, the way that he would plan each day for himself and the next and the next and the next until one day he was let free. And then he did the things that he did that he was destined to do. So if somebody says that to me, I think, you know what? You don't know what your karma is. You don't know what your destiny is. There's no way for you to know that. The only thing I know that you probably know as well is that if you stay attached to the story of everything that you're dealing with, you can't transcend, you're likely never to transcend it. Just like Nelson Mandela could have easily died in prison or come out and just gone, found a hole someplace. And, um, and that's just not what he did. And he's no superhuman guy. He's no different than any of us. You know, we don't call him the son of God. He's just a man. And we deify certain people. We're all, we're all, we're all deities. We're all divine beings. We all have this capacity. Well, even that, Jesus, that, even Jesus said the things that I do, you can do these things and more. Exactly. You can move mountains. You know, this fig tree, it's a miracle, but you can do more than that. Now, yeah, that's scripture. That's the Bible. That's, you know, people get triggered just hearing that stuff because it's been beaten into them, you know, I think in ways that really is offensive to me. Um, and at the same time, however you get there, you get there. I mean, all roads, I feel, lead to the same place. They're, always gonna, they're all going to lead to this realization of, of, of what is our true nature. And I think for some people, the realization of their true nature comes a little late. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas we can wake up every day and have that realization and not try to and, and strive for perfection, but, but not, not require it. You know, we need to be able to forgive ourselves for the, for the mistakes that we make and the poor thinking that lead to the poor decisions. We have to, because we got to, if we're blessed, we get up again and get to start it over again tomorrow, do it better. So I think so many people, they wake up and they, they're carrying with them all the mistakes of the past, not only their own, but the intergenerational, intergenerational stuff, their parents, their ancestors, they carry that heavy bag, man. And the truth is, Kud, I know this is where we're in the getting into that area where it sounds like motivational stuff. I mean, we have the choice every day to take that, that heavy weight and just put it down. Nobody's requiring that you carry it or me. You just choose to do that. And, uh, and, and for my line of work these days, it depletes us to carry that weight is depleting. And when we are depleting, and here's the irony or the tragedy, I guess, is that when we're depleted, we're more likely to make poor decisions. Yeah. Depletion leads to more mistakes. So it becomes a vicious cycle. And, uh, and that's where, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, there's a, a statement again, I think it's attributed to Jesus as well. Um, you know, to he who hath more shall be given. And then to he who hath not, even that which they have will be taken away. It sounds like cruelty, but is it? Because those who have harmony, they only have more harmony because they have harmony, they create harmony. And those that don't have harmony have less harmony because of that vicious cycle. You make, they make it in their state of depletion it makes it so much harder to make the right choices. 
have a couple final questions, Adam. Um, I'm just curious, before I ask my final question, I know you were a lawyer, very successful, East Coast, um, and then you, 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 felt, you felt a different calling. You, you weren't happy. Um, you weren't satisfied. Um, but you built a level of success. <clears throat> I remember you told me, and there was a level of success that you built, and, and, and it can be so challenging for us as human beings when we build something uh, identified with it. That's one. Our egos identified with it. We built something, and now, now we're thriving. Survival is tied into that. It's so hard to make the change and let go and do something different. And so I'm curious, what gave you the courage to go from, you built this huge thing as an attorney, it was your entire life, I think you said 18 years, I mean, something you built, very successful. Most people don't let, let go of something that they've built like that. They just stay in it and keep grinding and stay you know, miserable and get more and more miserable. So what gave you the courage? Like, I'd like you to, to kind of give people, because there might be some folks listening in today that are in that position of... Sure. Maybe they're in a trap of success or they're doing something that's not working and they're, and they're attached to it. And so... You know, anybody that doesn't have a lot of money <laughs> or, or power <clears throat> always says, well, look, give me, give me more money and power, man. I'll deal with those problems. I want those challenges instead of the ones I got, right? Um, but the grass is, is not usually greener and um and and the trappings of success are not are not uh light to be taken lightly um you know for me i was doing work that 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 at its at its worst was deteriorating my my sense of 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 who i was and I, you can't, I don't know. I didn't think I could get that back. I felt like I was in a fight for my soul at that point. Um, wow. And I, I guess I didn't worry about money. I mean, the truth is I gave, I, when I turned my back on my practice and stopped and it, and I didn't do it overnight. I wrote a book called pivot. That's all about the transition out, which took two, two plus years. But, but the truth is I left a lot on the table, left a lot of money on the table. I never forget a cousin of my wife's coming up to me at a party and he's from New York. He got a real New York way about him. Huh. And he just, he shook his head. He's smiling. He gave me a slap on the back, you know? So, you know, what are you doing these days? You know? And he goes, I can't believe, man. I can't believe you gave up the, the golden ticket, <laughs> which was a dig. You know, he was, he was, he wasn't trying to dig me, but, um, but it is counterintuitive. So, um, I don't know that it was courage. I, I feel like it was it was it was a survival decision. I really I came home one night from work and I, I was soaked from the rain outside and soaked inside. I was I was I was pretty cold on the inside, um, and I had a world in my inside this home. I had four beautiful little babies and a gorgeous, amazing wife. I adore. And I had all this to be grateful for, but yet I spent my days really angry and, uh, and miserable a lot of the time. So, or miserable in the sense that I, I just had a lot of self-loathing going on. 
and uh, had trouble waking up in the morning even and putting my feet on the floor without feeling uh, anxious and, and even dread. Put me in the hospital on, on a particular Saturday. I was, I was in the hospital thinking I was literally expiring. Like my heart was pounding so hard. It was felt like outside of my chest kind of thing and, you know, profusely sweating profusely and all that. And, um, and the doctor told me that it was a panic attack that I was experiencing, you know, not a, not a cardiac event, thankfully. Um, but, but I came, I came home one night shortly after that. And I told her, I said, if I keep doing what I'm doing, you're, you're going to be a widow, <laughs> which is a pretty rough thing to say to your wife, you know, or anybody, uh, that cares about you. So, um, you know, she took a breath in that moment. I'll never forget. And just looked at me lovingly and, uh, and told me we'll figure it out. Uh, didn't didn't remind me about all the reasons why that might be a poor choice <laughs> to leave, like you said, after so many years and, and success. Um, but she was entirely supportive of that decision, and we wouldn't change it for a second today. Um, but yet, you know, I speak to a fair number of of people who are under stress, like very successful people in corporations, lawyers, doctors accountants, engineers, you know, tons and tons of people have us come in to do these talks about resilience. And, and often what I'll say is, you know, the truth is I didn't need to leave the law. I, I wouldn't change a thing, but I didn't need to. Leave. I just wasn't equipped. I wasn't resourced then to, and to, to be able to do it and not die from doing it. But what I know now and, and, hopefully at least some of what we will share with other people is that you can navigate even those extreme, that extreme environment and the stress differently than the way I was doing it. And the way a lot of people are doing it today. I mean, anxiety is through the roof, depression and substance abuse through the roof, uh, not just among lawyers and doctors, but in so many groups, um, there's just better ways to do it. And that's really what this book I think is, is all about. Uh, for us, my final question, uh, where can people get the book? I know the book's out now, Change Proof. It's timely. This is the moment for this book, I believe. And so uh, where can people get the book uh, and find out more about you and your work? Thank you. I mean, they can get the book wherever books are sold, of course. But if you go to changeproof.com, even if you've bought it elsewhere, you can claim a bunch of really beautiful gifts, these bonuses that we created that are different. They're different than a lot of the ones that sometimes you see. Uh, I, I believe in the value of a 20, 25 minute walk. And it's just tremendous. Uh, that's one of the things I can't do right now, given just <laughs> given, given my situation, right? Uh, so I, I did record this fortunately before my trip to Mexico. Uh, it's a walk with Adam. It's one of many really lovely bonuses that people can get there where it's not just an audible, I'm actually taking them on a walk with me. So that's changeproof.com to do that. Um, obviously anybody that's interested in our corporate work, speaking and teaching about resilience, they can go to adammarkell.com. And people that want to just take their assessment, find out how resilient they are mentally, emotionally, physically, even spiritually, they can go to resiliencerank.com, resiliencerank.com. And in three minutes, they'll get this baseline as well as a toolkit with rituals that they can start to adopt, ones that might actually help them to create greater resilience. Nice. We'll put all of the links in the, uh, in the show notes so everyone check out Change Proof about to work or get it myself and, ah. and read it. I started reading some of it online. Good stuff. Really great stuff. Really great stuff. Uh, final Thank question. You. I just want you to leave people like, 
bullet, some bullet points here. If there were, if you were to reflect on your life and there were three of the most important life lessons that you've learned based on everything you've experienced as a human being in this incarnation, mm-hmm. uh, and you could only pass these three keys on to your children and grandchildren, that you feel these are the wisdoms that would evolve their consciousness the most. I'm curious, in a nutshell, what your three key wisdoms would be that you pass on to the next generation. Okay, so I'm just going to give you some bullet points here. Bullet points. In in the interest of time. All right, so I I delivered a TED Talk a couple of years ago, um, you know, that got published on YouTube, which which I got some really interesting feedback about. Um, and, And one of those things... I would suggest to my an earlier version, you know, a younger me and to our kids is that your the way you rise, how you you rise, your rising ritual or waking ritual is vital. And and my rate my waking ritual, instead of feeling anxiety when I hit the floor, my feet hit the floor these days. When my feet feet hit the floor, I actually say four words. And and those words are, I love my life. I love my life. And and that is a very powerful beginning of my day. So my first thing would be start your day with a statement of some kind that that's putting a stake in the ground. The way the pioneers, when they when they were traveling this country, put a stake in the ground, said, This land is, you know, I'm claiming it. You know, claim, claim something at the beginning of your day. That would be the first thing. The second thing is. Trust your instincts. It's advice my dad gave me when I was about 16. And it really has just throughout my life, it has been so important to just trust my gut. Trust your instincts. And lastly, follow your heart. So to me, when when your heart says something's right or something's wrong, listen to it. To be, to, you have to train. Sometimes we have to train ourselves to listen to our heart, which is why stillness practice or prayer is actually so important because you can get clear messages in those moments of meditation. Um, and, and then you have this choice. Remember, pause, ask, choose. You pause, take a breath, take some couple of two, three deep cleansing breaths into your belly. Ask a question. What, what am I looking for clarity about in this moment? What don't I see in this moment? What are my options in this moment? Then choose. Either choose to take an action based on that guidance or choose to recover. Choose to pick. I'm not ready to take an action. I'm not ready to, to do something about what I'm experiencing right now. But I'm going to take care of myself right now. That means I might go for a walk might take a nap. I might read a book and change my thoughts. I might eat something healthy. So often it is that we'll make decisions based on our ego, of course, but sometimes we just make it based on our physiology. You know, we're tired. We're hungry. How do, you make, how do you make good decisions when you're tired and hungry? I don't make very good decisions when those two things are also in the mix. So pause, ask, choose is, is, the, is that, that, you know, that piece that I think is really valuable that people can do. Anybody can do it. It sounds easy, but it takes some practice, obviously. Awesome, brother. Thank you for those three wisdoms. Really appreciate all your sharing today. I think you've poured into everyone in the Soul Talk community with such generosity. So much love. Uh, folks, the amazing Adam Markell, Change Proof, get the book, uh, Leveraging the Power of Uncertainty to Build Long-Term Resilience. We definitely, definitely need more of that in our world today. Thank you, brother. 
Really appreciate you sending you love. Folks, I told you this was going to be an amazing interview. Uh, share this episode with everyone in your life that you feel would benefit. Check out Change Proof. Check out Adam's work. Um, also, send me an email, cooplaxon at cooplaxon.com. Let me know your key takeaways from today's episode. And uh, make sure you write a review on iTunes. Until next week, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.